The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to this free episode of Dunked On Prime. If you'd like every team preview, all of Nate's and Danny's podcasts, Hollinger and Duncan, My Daily Dunks, our cap sheets, and much, much more, you can subscribe to Dunked On Prime at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. That's dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. All right, let us now speak of the Los Angeles Lakers, a team that has been lauded for having one of the best off-seasons in the NBA after making what would probably have to be considered a surprise conference finals appearance a, a year ago. And here to discuss LeBron James' age 39 season with us is Jovan Buha of The Athletic Aria. I'm doing well, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. This is always really fun uh, to do this uh, every year. And it's been at least a little while uh, since uh, the Lakers have gone into a season with this much optimism. I, I guess two years ago they did as well with Westbrook, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we weren't we as optimistic. optimism. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and last year, it, it really was like... It, seemed like they probably had lower expectations than maybe any year of the LeBron era, but they managed to make some improvements and get to the West Finals. So I think where I want to start in discussing their season this year is to talk about last year. And they found some things that worked, obviously. They did get to the West Finals. They were, of course, summarily dismissed there 4-0. What is your thinking on last year? Do you feel like they found a sustainable formula that can carry them forward to being you know a solid top four team all year and and a threat to get back to at least the conference finals or was there something that may have been flukier about that run to you i think it's sustainable um i will say that i if you look back at their schedule over that span after the all-star break it wasn't the most difficult slate of opponents so i I think there was something to they had a brutal start to the season in terms of scheduling and being on the road and uh just some of the road trips that they had and and some of the back-to-backs and like so they had one of the tougher first halves of the season and i think that was part of what played into that two and ten start that they had and and them just being under 500 for most of the season of course the the westbrook situation and and the roster that they had but for me i I also thought part of it was based on the schedule uh so you look at it after the trade deadline 18 and 8 it's a 57 win pace uh, second best record in the league uh and over that span number two defense number 14 offense sixth best net rating so do I think they're the they're going to have the second best record in the league next year? No. Uh, do I think they could have the sixth best net rating? Yeah. I, I think that that's 
probably where I'd, I'd, I'd pencil them in around there, somewhere like five to seven. But uh, for me, it, it really comes down to health. Uh, but I thought the interesting thing with what they did last year, you know, post uh, deadline was nine and six without LeBron and nine and two with him. So if you look at the playoffs where they went eight and eight, that's 17 and 10 overall with LeBron, which is a 52 win pace. Like that, that to me is more realistic. Um, you know, I, I don't think they're going to win se- uh, 57 games next year. I think we'll, we'll get into it uh, a bit later, but, uh, like that 52 win pace feels about right. And I think that the nine and six without LeBron, like that, a lot of that is credit to AD. Uh, it's a credit to Austin Reeves and, and his ascension. And it's a credit to the new guys stepping in and, uh, you know, finding their roles and, and everyone, you know, playing relatively well compared to expectations. So I think for them, uh, I have them in the that upper tier of the West, but I, I think you know I think we're going to see a decline as they kind of stabilize with a more you know the, the rigors of a normal schedule. Health stuff comes up, and you know we, we see a, a larger sample with this group. I do think they're going to come back down to earth a little bit. But if you're asking me if they're a really good team that could win a championship next year, um, I, I would put them m- maybe a little bit lower in the contender tier. But I, I think they are a legitimate threat next season. Last year at this time we were talking about are they going to make a trade maybe this indiana thing is going to happen maybe it's not it ended up not happening and i said hey you know i kind of understand rob palinka holding off and as a quick aside i actually think since the westbrook trade palinka has handled that situation about it as well as they possibly could have uh but and what my thinking was okay are ad and lebron going to prove that they can be the core of a possible championship contender i would say with anthony Davis and particularly the way he played defensively in the playoffs and at times offensively uh, as well uh certainly in that stretch before he injured the foot during the regular season a lot of which LeBron missed uh, as well like he did prove that he could be at that level uh, to me it looked like probably the best defensive player in basketball you know he up he went up against the two guys who supposedly wear that crown in Jaron Jackson Jr. and Draymond Green in the first two rounds he completely outplayed both of those guys defensively and of course did more than them uh, on the offensive end as well he was inconsistent offensively in the playoffs you know we can talk a little bit more about that uh and maybe what the reasons for that are but to me that level that he showed defensively if they can get that with uh, of course uh, his health being uh, a constant concern like that is the foundation because that guy is like you know, I, I think he was better than LeBron in the playoffs, and I think he's probably he probably has to be better than LeBron going forward for them. So that to me is what gives them hope of repeating uh, the run that they had last year. Yeah, AD to me was the Lakers' best player last season. I, I don't think that was said enough publicly, but uh, and I think you saw it to start the year before his injury uh, when he en- uh, ended up injuring his foot against Denver, which it's kind of become an annual tradition for him is is the mid December injury that knocks him out for like at least a month but uh it was back-to-back seasons uh I, like, I mean, I, I'd written it a, a couple times that they're talking about it you know, openly after games of like, this is becoming 80s team. And that was the first time you really heard that in the LeBron 80 era. Like originally when 80 got there, there was kind of the, you know, we're going to pass the baton and that, but like you saw it, it was always LeBron's team. And, and LeBron is just this, you know, force of nature that wherever he goes, like the, the attention's always on LeBron. He's always going to have the ball at the end of games. Like the offense runs through LeBron. That, that kind of changed last year. And, and we could also, you know, we could get into that a little bit more uh, in terms of, you know, schematic changes for, for next season. But 
I think you really started to see AD more as the focal point last year for the first time in their partnership. Uh, but that changed after the injury where uh, he just never really found his offensive footing. If you look at his, his scoring, his efficiency, pre-injury versus post, he just was never the same player from an offensive perspective. But that defensive ceiling you talked about, like he was the best defender in the playoffs. Uh, to me, was really the, the swing factor. Like you rarely see teams change their offensive game plan you know, to uh, kind of, uh, you know, accommodate is probably the wrong word, but but just to have an awareness of, of where a certain defender, yeah. to account for yeah. uh, where a certain defender is at, at all times. And you saw progressively in both the Memphis and Golden State series, both teams really change their game plans for like, how can we get Anthony Davis away from the paint? Because if he's in the paint, we're just not going to go. Like they just stopped driving at, at certain points uh, of those series. So I think, you know, that ceiling for him, like, you know, I think 80 in the playoffs was a top five caliber guy. Uh, and if you can get that version of him with LeBron still on that, you know, precipice of the top 10, you know, probably more in the 10 to 15 range. Like that is to me a, a championship duo. And I think they showed again, like you get those guys healthy in April, they can go on a deep playoff run. And um, I, I don't know if they have an answer for Denver next season, but uh, it, it we'll see how good Phoenix is. But uh, I think LeBron and AD, you know, two top 15 guys, uh, that's you know, typically a, a championship core. So, uh, you know, again, depending on health and, and depending on how LeBron ages into year 21, like I think they're still right there as a championship duo. Both of them were on the court. Uh, they played every playoff game. How limited were they by their respective injuries? Just to re- remind everyone, uh, for LeBron, it was the foot tendon and those the whole LeBron James uh, of feet saga. We still actually, I don't think, know whether he had surgery or not uh, this offseason. He said famously, like, I'm not going to tell you guys if I do. Uh, yeah. and, and then AD, <laughs> it was this, uh, I, I refresh memory, it was the, like the bone spurs and the ankles. It was the reporting Went through like kind of several iterations on that one. Yeah, he he had several things going on with his foot. Um, there was there was the bone spurs. Uh, honestly, like k- kind of similar injuries for both of them. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think AD was more AD was healthier to me uh, than LeBron was. I, I think LeBron, if if you look at like or- originally when he was out, he was projected to be out. Uh, like four weeks was the was the short side of that timeline, and that that was kind of unrealistic. And the fact that he came back when he came back with eight games left in the regular season, uh, I personally think he he rushed it a bit. I, I think he he you know ev- everything I was hearing from the team like I mean if you remember like that caught everyone off guard when he came back as as quickly as he did it just was kind of you know it was like is LeBron going to be back and it was this kind of news cycle that happened within like 24 hours before the game of just randomly out of nowhere like we hadn't seen LeBron practicing there there'd been you know no mention of of him being close to returning and then all of a sudden it's like is LeBron playing tomorrow and it, he he comes back and like he, you know he was still really good but i don't think we ever saw the you know similar to AD with, with the the kind of pre-offensive version of of, of him in December I don't think we ever saw the the pre uh, injury version of LeBron from an offensive perspective of like in December and in January when AD went out, LeBron was routinely dropping 30 plus 
points a game and like he, he had several 40 point games and and he kind of turned back the clock with uh I thought it was the best he had looked offensively in a couple of seasons and then he goes down in in February and for me just was never the same player and what was very jump shot reliant uh couldn't really get to the rim uh, I mean I, I thought parts of that Memphis series uh, like Xavier Tillman was able to hold him in check and uh you know just stick with him on on drives and like just stuff that you normally don't see from LeBron and you know, part of that's an aging thing. Part of that's just you know, you have a certain amount of injuries in recent seasons. I, I think it catches up to you. But I also think part of it was uh, LeBron was just you know, I think he came back too early, and I think um, you know, I, I don't know for sure, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he had uh, off-season surgery on that. I, you know, I suspect he, he probably did, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll see in, in the coming weeks with, with media day. But I, I think he came back too quickly, and you know, for him, I, I think he sensed. He, he saw like the, the teams started to play well right before he got injured. Then they continued to play well while he was injured. And I think he just sensed like, hey, we have a shot here. And he was right. They, they got to the conference finals. But I think if he was able to rest a little bit longer and come back with a little bit more juice, you would have seen a different version of him in that Denver series. Because I think by that point, he was just running on gas. You know, he, he, was, he was out of gas and um, he just was a shell, like a shell of himself offensively, in my opinion, in, in that Denver series where he, he just wasn't the same guy. So I think LeBron was much more affected than AD was, uh, but by their respective foot injuries. Yeah, it's interesting that I thought there were moments when LeBron was like, okay, this is it. I got to go here. Like the game six of the Warriors series where he just got into the post immediately and decided like he was going to just put a an injured Andrew Wiggins in the goal every time at mm-hmm. the start of that game six. Like, no, all right, this is the one that we got to get, obviously, uh, against this Warriors team that has come back from down 3-1 before. And... <clears throat> And then, you know, even at times, you know, the, the way he played that game four against Denver, but it seemed like, I mean, it's kind of odd for that sort of injury. You wouldn't think it was necessarily like a stamina thing, but it seemed very clear that he felt he had to be very judicious with his maximum efforts. And of course, you know, with his mind and his size, like he's able to uh, control a lot of the game. But yeah, when you saw, you know, Austin Reeves running pick and roll down the end of, uh, what was that, game one against Memphis, for example, like he really was not LeBron the main guy uh, at the end of games and when he tried to be you know it wasn't really effective like the end of that game four against Denver so I guess I'll put you a little bit on the spot here because I think again this is the most key question with these guys age and health I think we see in the aggregate a better season from LeBron James and a better season for Anthony Davis than we saw a year ago oof uh, you are putting me on the spot. Uh, I'm going to say, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, put, put me on the spot. Uh, All right. I'll, I'll say that AD has a better season. I, I think, and, and be, I think like the shooting has been a problem for him now for, for multiple years. And I don't, I think it's wishful thinking to say he's going to get back to the bubble level of shooting or, or even just that, that season in general. But if he can just be like respectable from, you know, 18 to 24 feet, uh, I think that that's another wrinkle w- within their offense that they haven't really had over the last couple of years. So I'll say AD rediscovers his shot to the extent that you at least have to honor it. Cause that's really been the thing. Like you haven't had to honor AD outside of 14, 16 feet the last couple of years. Like he's, yeah. he's been a very Does unreliable he recognize that that's a problem. You think? Yes. Uh, and he, he's worked on it, but I don't, I, I mean, I think that the problem has been he's kind of gone more away from like, I think he's recognized it to the point that he's just gone away from it where you've seen Mm. him taking fewer threes 
And it used to be like, I remember uh, 2020, 2021, uh, that, that was my first year on the beat. And one of the themes in training camp was Frank Vogel saying he wanted Anthony Davis to shoot like four threes a game. And it was like, I don't care what his percentage is. I want him taking you know four threes every game. And that didn't end up happening. But I, I think you you know, from that point that was coming, you know, fresh off the bubble. And he had he was very open later in the season about how just that short offseason messed up his his training and his regimen. And uh, he ended up getting injured that season, missing half the year. Uh, but I really think from that point on, it's just been progressively, uh, you know, worse shooting from him. And I think it's, I don't want to say it's gotten in his head, but I think he's, he's very selective now with, you know, even if I'm open for three, I'm not necessarily going to take it and I'm going to look for a better shot. So I think he's, he's got to just let it fly and keep defenses honest. And yeah, if, if he's going to miss them, like, you know, at some point, you know, maybe you, uh, you know, have to adjust your strategy there. But for me, the fact that he's turning down open jumps jumpers at times is a bit of a problem. And with LeBron, I, I think it's it's tough just because already year 21, like if you look at the history of year 21, LeBron's, you know, the second LeBron drops 20 or, or 30 points, like he, he's basically the best player we've ever seen in year 21. Uh, like the, the history of those guys isn't great. Most of those guys, even guys like Dirk Nowitzki, Kevin Garnett, like Vince Carter, like they were at the the very tail end of their careers, basically role players at that point. Uh, so LeBron already is in uncharted territory from a longevity perspective. But I would say, I think we, you did see some decline from him. I, I don't want to put it all in the injury. Uh, so I will say like you probably see another 5% decline in LeBron, but 5% decline in LeBron could still be a top 20 guy in the league. Uh, but I think defensively, you know, he's not the same guy anymore. I think he he can give it in spurts, but it's not consistent. And then the jump shot, like that that to me is the big swing yeah, thing of like that is yeah. Did he just lose the jumper? And if he lost the jumper, it's real like it gets tricky building lineups around LeBron and AD. Especially we're gonna get into the two big thing later, like because because that's one of my things I'm passionately against. Uh, but if you have LeBron and AD in, in the front court and you're putting another big med there and you just have three dudes who, who can't shoot or that big is the best shooter, like I think there's some problems there. No, I, I think you might be right about that. And LeBron, you know, he's had, I think it was two years ago that he kind of shot unsustainably well from three and then he was 32% last year. And I mean, to the point where even the Warriors strategy at times is just to let him shoot and it, that didn't really work all that well in the end. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside and things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant 
the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that capspace code to let them know you came from us Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. You know, I do think it's kind of interesting as I think about this team offensively. I don't know, like, what is, like, the one action they have that's really unstoppable. Like, AD doesn't really post up anymore, right? Like, that's, I thought he was going to be able to score against Nikola Jokic one-on-one. He couldn't do that. I thought that was a big reason why uh, they weren't able to be more competitive in that series. And, you know, Austin Reeves is a solid player, but, you know, he's not really your idea of a number one ball handler. And LeBron, you know, like, those AD LeBron pick and rolls, usually teams are probably going to switch that. Uh, And, you know, LeBron is not really a great isolation score. You know, maybe he can run pick and roll against a smaller player and get into the post sometimes, but he doesn't really have the stamina to do that uh, all the time. And D'Angelo Russell, you know, he's very hit or miss as well. So it's interesting, like they have a lot of things that they can try, but there isn't like that one thing where you're looking at it as an uh, opposing defense being like, okay, we just cannot deal uh, with this one specific play. And I think it's a problem. I I think that, I mean, again, we, we just talked about, and it was just regular season, but they were 14th over that span, uh, you know, post-trade deadline. And that's just kind of how it's been in the LeBron AD era where they've never been a dominant offense. I think just in, in that bubble run, uh, I mean, LeBron was at a different level. He it was much you know, much more athletic uh, compared to where he's at now. The jumper was still there. 80s jumper was arguably the best it's ever been. And you had all these uh, really good defensive role players who um, you know made shots at the right time and, and just kind of slotted in appropriately around them. So I think their formula has always been more defensive. If you look at uh, you know the, the three years they made the playoffs, they did so behind having elite defenses. The first couple of years, uh, they were top three in defense. And then again, this last year, top two post deadline. So I think that that's the formula for LeBron AD teams is, is load up defensively. But if you look at their offseason, 
aside from the you know, resigning of certain guys and, and extending AD and, and Vando, uh, they clearly leaned, in my opinion, more offensive with uh, trying to bring in some more shooting with Torian Prince and, and Gabe Vincent. You know, if you look at their their predecessors of Dennis Schroeder and Troy Brown Jr., like I think that's a that's a shooting upgrade. You, you can quibble with if it's an overall upgrade to what the roster needs, but I think from a strictly a shooting perspective, like they got better. Christian Wood is a better shooter than uh, Wedian Gabriel or Tristan Thompson or you know whoever he's technically replacing in the rotation. So like from a shooting offensive perspective, I think there's more talent on this team, but they potentially got worse defensively. I, I think you could probably argue that and. We, we've never really seen a LeBron AD team uh, succeed without being an elite defense. So I think that's that's going to be one of the things I'm interested in is like how they find that offense defense balance. But to your point, like in the Denver series, I thought it was glaring where Lakers just didn't have any reliable actions they could go to. And I think that was ultimately what undid them. Like, yes, you know, Denver shot making Jokic best player alive. Like it's, um, you know, Denver had a lot of things going for them, but I also think it was the, the Lakers could not reliably attack them with, you know, consistent actions, consistent things that got high percentage looks. And that it was less of a problem in, against Golden State and Memphis just because they, I, I think they had overwhelming physical advantages against those teams and yeah. they were able to just power their way to the rim and they dominated the, the, the free throw disparity and uh, like, it was just, I think those were two bad matchups for those teams, you know, against the Lakers. But once they played a team with size that they weren't going to just get to the rim against, they weren't going to overpower them. That's where you saw the offense stall and they just didn't really have anything reliable to go to. I think, again, part of that is if LeBron and AD can't consistently hit jumpers over the top of defenders, like that's where you, you see the offense kind of sputter out like that. Yeah, and I think the other problem against Denver, too, was they basically only had one five-man group they felt like could guard them at all. Yes. And then when they put Schroeder in, LeBron, AD, like there just wasn't a, enough shooting on the floor at that point. Even Rui, you know, was uh, they tried to go to that group, but he's not like a great shooter for a three if, if that's what he's playing as well, although he, he had his moments in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I do think you make an interesting point there, and, you know, I wonder what it looks like against Phoenix, like that's a team I actually really don't like the matchup for the Lakers uh, very much at all uh, because mm-hmm. I, I do wonder like how they're going to guard those those three guys on, on the perimeter. Um, but I think they you know they had a really nice run and they won those two series very convincingly. But Memphis was kind of a shell. You know, Golden State it, I think it was a pretty broken team last year as well. So you certainly can make the argument that yes, while the Lakers did get to the playoffs and or, or get to the uh, conference final. You know, maybe they didn't face the toughest competition in the world either. And so maybe more so than like what this team is, that they will probably have a harder road to have to get there, no matter who it is. We don't know exactly what how the West is going to shape up, but you're probably going to have to face better teams to get to the conference finals than than what they did. Um, Mm -hmm. What else has really been kind of on your mind as we go into this season? Uh, What are some of the the biggest themes that you've been focusing on? Well, I think there are... There are a couple big themes for me. Like one is this is the first year they've ever really established and prioritized continuity, which I, I find interesting. Uh, if you just look at year over year in the LeBron AD era, like you could argue that second year, 2020, 2021, there was a lot of continuity from that championship team. But even so, they completely changed the the center position going from JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard to Marcus Gasol and Montrez Harrell, and then eventually Andre Drummond, which just gave the team a completely different identity. Uh, and that was also the 
the you know the the, the offseason that they traded Danny Green and a first round pick for Dennis Schroeder and and that was that was their shift toward like we need a more uh, you know a, a higher usage ball handler next to LeBron we want to take some of the load off of him which famously led to uh, the Russell Westbrook trade at an offseason later so I think this is the, this is the first year we've really seen them like. If you look at the guys they kept, Austin Reeves breaks out after the trade deadline uh, is basically 17, 4, and 5 on near 50, 40, 90 shooting splits. Uh, I, I think showed he has the potential to be a number three option. Uh, you know, I think all things considered, had a really good performance with Team USA. Uh, you know, was obviously uh, targeted at times defensively, but I think, you know, considering the expectations, him going from a guy many people thought shouldn't have been on the roster or, or was one of the last additions to the the roster to being third in minutes, second in points, fourth in assists. Like I think he was one of the uh, successes of Team USA. Uh, then Rui, uh, I think people forget like Rui before the playoffs. Yeah, he got a DNP CD late in the season, you know, yeah. late in March. They're playing the Bulls, and Darwin has to bench Rui to kind of finally get through to him. Of like, you got to just stop looking for your own shot. You got to buy in defensively, and you, you know you, you got to put the team first. He's in a contract year. He, he's you know trying to establish himself in the NBA, and then playoff Rui, <laughs> like from game one against Memphis, he just I mean, he shoots almost fifty percent from three. He, he's you know bought in defensively. He, he's like the the actualized version of Rui that you know people who are you know, still holding Rui stock had uh you know a bit high on and then D'Angelo Russell who you know I think had of course a terrible series against Denver and really was more up and down I think in the first couple of rounds than people want to remember that there's been some revisionist history I've seen of like well yeah he was bad against Denver but remember Golden State and Memphis and it's like if you actually look at those games and go back and rewatch it uh he had like you know good quarters and and some good moments but overall you know, targeted defensively, probably should have been more targeted defensively in that Golden State series if, if I were the Warriors, but uh, was was kind of inconsistent uh, offensively, I would say, to, to put it kindly. So, um, but still, th- like, this is the first time we've seen the Lakers give out multi-year deals, prioritize continuity. They re-sign all those guys. So now they have several role players in their mid-20s who fit around LeBron and AD. And I think that's really interesting. And then I think to to a lesser extent with that is just Austin and his ascension, because I think Austin is, to me, probably the best role player we've seen in the LeBron AD era. Like it's to me, it's between him and KCP. But I think with what he's shown offensively, I, w- I would put him, uh, you know, a notch or two above KCP. And again, his potential as, as a ball handler, like this is a guy who grew up playing point guard. I think we've seen some of his point guard tendencies. I don't think we've seen him, you know, seen enough yet to say like he's full on point guard, run the offense through him. But you did start to see that more in the playoffs, more in that Denver series. And then again, with Team USA kind of being a co-ball handler there with Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Brunson. So um, I-, I would say the continuity and then Austin's ascension are, are really the, the two things on my mind if we're projecting this team's ceiling next season yeah for reeves uh, i mean there's been a lot of noise like who was it who was like oh yeah this guy's gonna be like and we think this guy's gonna be an all-star was that palenko who said that uh it was darvin ham ah okay yeah but those guys could have an optimism off uh any day (laughs) between between the two of them um you know for reeves like he's been unbelievably efficient and the the foul drawing 
it has been a revelation to the point where LeBron and AD are like jealous of his ability to draw fouls. He also shoots really well from the foul line, at 86%. And he shot it really well from three both of his years too. I'm interested to see if he can get that volume up a little bit because you know, if he's a shooting guard, point guard, shooting guard, 4.2 three-point times for 36 minutes, like he's been relatively judicious. You know, your average shooting guard takes about eight for 36 minutes. So he's at half of that rate. Now he makes them. That's great. He's not going to get left open, but I want to see whether he can really expand that because that's probably the one thing that this team doesn't have. I would say is like, they have guys who can make shots, but they don't have like a shooter who really scares you. And Malik Beasley was supposed to be that. And that uh, obviously it did not work out. And now he's on a minimum contract amazingly uh, with the Milwaukee Bucks. So uh, that's what I want to see is whether he can maintain that efficiency uh, by shooting more. If, as I suspect, they are going to try to run a little more through him in the regular. Season. Yeah, uh, I think that's that, that's a good point. And I think it's something we've progressively seen more from him in terms of if you go back to his rookie season, one of the criticisms from the coaching staff was Austin just has to shoot more. Like he has the Steve Nash gene of elite shooter who would prefer to pass the ball. And I, I think that's, you know, in a vacuum, that's a good quality. You, you don't want a guy who's just chucking the ball. And uh, I think you know, the Lakers have had several of those guys over the last few years uh, who, who are maybe too uh, offensive minded and creating their own shot. But uh, with Austin, it's been you know them having to work that into his head of like, you are an elite shooter. Sometimes like your semi-contested shot is better than someone else's open shot. And and really just, you know, getting him to believe that. And I think again, like p- part of the ascension really like we had seen those those flashes uh, you know, from him, even the, the end of his rookie year, he has that 30 point triple double in a win in Denver uh, on the last game of the regular season. And then Frank Vogel gets fired two minutes after the buzzer uh, or not even two minutes. Uh, and like that, that was like we had seen some of that from Austin, but it was LeBron goes out. All of a sudden, they don't have like the, the I mean, D'Angelo Russell's new uh, Dennis clearly isn't like a traditional floor general. And Austin steps up as, you know, and ends up playing this big role as the team's primary ball handler and, and shot creator uh, in second halves and, and fourth quarters. And I, I think part of that was just, uh, you know, it, it was something he had, but it, it was something that also had to be unleashed. And now that it's unleashed and it's clear, like he's the third best player on the team, I, I don't think there's disputing it. Uh, they invested in him heavily. They view him as a franchise cornerstone. Like now, I'm I'm interested to see how like how does he handle that pressure? How does he handle that extra attention? Like he's on the scouting report now. He was not on the scouting report until late into the season, and I I think like there's a lot of things up up in the air with that. But uh, I also think like he's continued to play better. Like not every role player can scale up and play better in a higher usage role in a larger role, and he's done that. So I, I think. It, it is one of those things where, like, if you told me people were talking about him making an all-star team or a Team USA two years ago, I would have laughed at you and, and, and be like, what, like, what are you smoking? But uh, I don't think, like, you know, I think he, he's continually rewritten his own ceiling. And I, I think, I guess, until he stops doing that, uh, I'm going to continue to to believe in, in his ascension just because, again, like, I, I didn't even necessarily think he'd get to this level. And the fact that he's, like, you know, at, at, like, 17 points a game on, on 50% shooting... 
to me, that's it, it. Like part of that was the free throws, and, and he he has gotten pretty good at, at foul drawing. But like, it, it's hard to do that as just some type of fluke. And I, you know, I'm not saying you're saying that, but I think there is still that perception of like, you know, how how real is this? And I think at this point, like, it's real. Now, how much higher can he go from here? I, I don't know. But I think that that's a big swing thing for the Lakers because like, if he can be a reliable 20 point scorer, like that, I think that raises their ceiling. And now all of a sudden, like, you, you have a sure. a better third option, but. I don't really know where his ceiling is right now, so it's tough to say. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us ah the sweet sound of sports you love from sling the collide of football pads the squeak of shoes on a basketball court the crack of the bat on a home run the slice of skates cutting across the ice but what about this one that's the sound of all the sports you love all at once starting at $40 a month Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. So clearly Reeves, James, and Davis will start. Who do you think is going to round out the rest of the starters? Rui Hachimura and D'Angelo Russell. Uh, so for, from my understanding, from talking to people around the team, uh, it is going to be a bit of an... I mean, like those are the three locks and, and the other two spots are, are up for grabs. Uh, with, with D'Lo versus Gabe, I think they're just going to look at... like one, I mean, D'Lo's always been a starter basically throughout his entire career. And I think he's a guy that that matters. And I also think for the oh, Lakers... Oh, oh, what makes you, what makes you think that? <laughs> uh, yeah, we can, we can go back to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, that matters. And 
I, I now I, I think Gabe is basically going to be Gabe's the the dentist replacement. So I, I, yeah. I view Gabe as like they're probably going to split. Like I, I just did a, an updated uh, rotation uh, projection, and I have D'Angelo at twenty five minutes. I have Gabe at twenty three, but I have Gabe closing games, and, and that's kind of how I see it. Where uh, Dennis actually looking at post trade deadline, Dennis actually averaged more fourth quarter minutes than D'Angelo. And there were a lot of cases in which he closed over D'Angelo. Uh, now, part of that was uh, Darvin Ham's irrational love for Dennis. <laughs> so I, I don't know if, if Gabe could quite capture his heart in the same way. But I, I do think like looking at what the Lakers need at the end of games... If you have basically a three and D point guard or, or three and D combo guard, uh, like that is the ideal guy of like you just need someone who can spot up on the weak side, uh, keep defenses honest, you know, knock down threes if the ball swung to him, and then you know d- defend guards. Uh, and I think he's one of the better options on the team to to do that. So I, I view Gabe more as the closer, but D'Angelo as like nominal starter. He's going to have those games where he drops twenty five, hits five threes, like you know that, that's going to happen. Uh, but I, I don't view him as a closing option, and and then I do view him ultimately as their best trade asset of the trade deadline, they're going to shop him. They're going to see what they can get. And, uh, you know, I, I thought it was very telling that he ended up waiving, you know, his, uh, you know, uh, basically his trade uh, clause or, you know, no trade yeah. clause that comes with the, the two-year deal that he signed. Uh, he ended up waiving that so the Lakers can trade him without his permission. Uh, yeah. So and actually, that's just, how I view- just quickly to, to remind people of, of it, since this, this is my, my purview, there's a new yes. rule in the CBA <laughs> now that when you sign a contract, you can waive your no trade clause. It used to, it's called an implied no trade clause. So because Russell has a player option, in theory, if he were traded and then declined that player option, he would lose his bird rights with his new team. That gives him the ability to uh, to block a trade unless under the new CBA, you agree that you waive that at the time of signing. So presumably the negotiation was, hey, we're going to give you this one plus one. We're going to give you $17 million a year. And in exchange, you're going to allow us to, to trade you if uh, we want to. And so that seems like how, how it ended up. And that, that I think was pretty big because they have been hamstrung in previous years by giving out player options and then not being able to trade those guys. Well, and they, they kind of just did a, a version of that now with the, the Vanderbilt extension where now he can't be traded uh, after this extension next season. And I thought like at four, he was making 4.7 million uh, like that as a sweetener into a deal. Uh, like I think, you know, he's still only 24. You know, I think he, he's shown like, uh, of course, you know, there's problems playing him in the playoffs, and and I think they're they're going to have problems playing him in the playoffs again. But just that type of six eight, you know, multi positional defender who can lock into point guards and and you know on ball uh, shot creators, like I think there's value in that guy. And you know, depending on where they, you know, if they make a D'Angelo Russell move, like I, I thought Vando had potential value in that deal, and now that they can't move that guy, uh, like he, he's obviously just locked into the roster. So I, I thought that was interesting w- with that extension. But uh, then the other spot to me, it's Rui because... Uh, Again, like you know, mentioning Vanderbilt, uh, he was per, you know he was played off the floor in all three series. Really, if you look at game over game, he played you know increasingly less uh, in each series. And really, if you go back to the regular season, he, he started to play a little bit less uh, toward the end of the regular season. So I just think you know outside of corner threes, 
He doesn't have much offensive value at this point. Uh, I think one of the underrated things with, with him was um, he would struggle you know, catching the ball in traffic and, and finishing. And it was one of those things where sometimes you have guys who can't shoot, but they can make you pay in other ways. Uh, but with Vando, it would sometimes be, okay, he'll back cut, he'll get an offensive rebound, but then he's going to miss the layup. And yeah. it, it just at some point became this guy is such a, a negative offensively that we can't play him. And I've seen some people propose the idea of like, we'll just go back to the Vando Delo starting lineup and like look at the net rating in the regular season. And, and why don't you just play that and then change in the playoffs if you have to? And I, I don't believe in that. Like, I just, I think you want as much continuity as possible. And the starting lineup I start in, in game one, ideally is the starting lineup I have in game one of the playoffs, barring an unforeseen trade or, or injury or something. So I don't really buy into the like, well, the Vando starting lineup works. So let's stick with that. And then let's insert Rui or someone else come playoff time. Like if Vando can't be my starter in the playoffs, I don't see why I'd want to start him in the regular season. Like, I, I just well, don't think. Well, so so here's, this is my thought on that though. I mean, the Go whole ahead. reason I thought Vanderbilt had to start last year is because they're also starting Russell. And mm-hmm. they if they're going to start Russell, LeBron's not going to guard the ball and pick and roll. Reeves is really underqualified to do that. He's pretty decent chasing around off-ball shooters, but he's not an elite uh, defender at the point of the attack in pick and roll getting over screens. Anthony Davis is going to play a drop coverage. So you have to have Vanderbilt out there. Hachimura can't do that. So uh, to me... Like, uh, I mean, maybe those are, you know, the three, the, the guys that they, you know, if, if you start both Russell and Hachimori, yeah, those are the guys you're getting paid the most. But I don't think that your defense, and there's been a defense first team, really fits together that well. So I, I actually, I mean, I realize there's probably an intent to start Rui, but I, I mean, really, it all comes back to Russell uh, to me and his inability to defend as well as they need. But you kind of have to match up Vincent and Hachimura and Russell and Vanderbilt because they need someone who can guard the ball. It's a great point. And I, I think this is where they have an internal conundrum right now because, uh, I mean, my, my counter to starting Vando is just, okay, we were just talking about how bad LeBron and AD are from a shooting perspective. Now you're going to throw Vando out there. Like, yeah, I, I think the, like the, 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 uh, the jury's out on him. Like you just don't guard him at, at the three point line. And, I think that was something that, uh, you know, it affected them in the playoffs. But again, going back to even late in the regular season, it started to affect them a bit where teams just realized like, and I think teams knew that, but I think, you know, started to factor that into their game plan of how they want to guard the Lakers. And with the Lakers being a team that uh, they might not have a bread and butter action, but we know that they live in the paint. They want to get to the, like Darvin Ham, you know, option one, two, and three on his, uh, you know, offensive game plan is get to the, like he talks about living and loving in the paint. Uh, and like that, that's what they want to do. And you can't, I mean, sure, you could get to the paint, but if there's five guys in there and you're kicking the ball out to an open shooter who is either going to miss the shot or uh, not take it and then try and like run some type of other action, like I, I think that's where you run into problems. So for me, I, like, I guess if I were the coach, I, I agree with you. I would go Rui and Vincent. I, I think that's the starting lineup that makes the most sense. Uh, I think for trade value and for just internal politics, Russell will continue yeah. to start. And then that puts you in a bind of like, you know, maybe you go Torian Prince. I don't know. Like maybe maybe he's the sweet spot between Rui and, and Vando of like, he gives you some perimeter defense. He, you know, he's not a C. Uh, does he? I, I mean, like, yeah. Uh, and he's a good shooter. We've been so waiting like that, for that, it for, for since 2016. Uh, 
on that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we'll see. We've seen guys come into LA and uh, take a different path in, in their careers. So that's, I, I'm not totally ruling it out, but we haven't seen it yet. They're in a tough spot with it though. Like I, I think we're, yeah. we're in agreement. I, I don't, I think what their ideal starting lineup is versus what it's going to be, it, you know, they're two different things. And I don't, you know, maybe, maybe they learn from the Russell Westbrook situation, but I think even going back to last season with how they handled Russell Westbrook, how they handed, uh, handled Patrick Beverly, even a, you know, a couple years ago, how they handled Andre Drummond, despite, in my opinion, Marcus Gasol was, was the better player, the better fit. He made much more sense as a starting center, but they made certain promises to Andre Drummond. Now you're bringing in Christian Wood and, I, you know, I, I don't know what promises have been made to him, but I, I know he's going to have a big role and you know like i mean who knows maybe they go christian wood and ad and lebron and i think that would be a, yeah. a, a, a terrible mistake but i just i think they've shown that like they tend to uh like defer to the the some of the politics and like you know who's making more money who who would care more if they're not starting or whatnot like i, I don't think and they did change that ultimately with russ but like that was because it was just such an obvious like this is yeah. going down in flames and i I don't think it's going to be that bad, but I think it could be the difference between them like winning a playoff series, and you know that that's why I, th- I think they probably do need to make some trade, uh, some changes at the trade deadline, and and clear some of this stuff up again, and and then kind of move forward with like this is the clear hierarchy, this is you know our best five, and because I think that's kind of unclear right now. Yeah, I, I think it just. Like br- bringing Russell back is clearly a marriage of convenience. He didn't have a market. If he had, he wouldn't be there anymore. Uh, I think like they weren't going to give him a, a long term deal, so it came back uh, with the player option. Like, and he's a you know a player who can help them, particularly in the regular season. But yeah, I mean, he really is like the backup point guard who plays twenty five minutes a game and and has more of a license to fire. I mean, the other problem with him being in the starting lineup is like he's just generally more aggressive. He's the quote unquote point guard, and Reese is better than him, and Russell's. Gonna to take more on-ball reps uh, away from Reese, but I think I think you're right. I think Russell starts, but that's why I think ultimately, maybe not in the beginning, because uh, you know I haven't talked to people in the organization. If you're if they're telling you that the plan is for Rui to start, then I, I believe you. But uh, I think they. Like, unless they're going to bench Russell, they bring in Vanderbilt, you still owe starting point guard D'Angelo Russell for all the reasons you talked about. And then, hey, if he's still on the team after the trade deadline, I mean, either that means that it's really working, he's having a great year, or it means that uh, they're just, they couldn't trade him, they didn't have anything, and then maybe they get real about putting him in in the role that he should be in. I want to get back to Vincent a little bit, actually. Um, He and Max Struess are two of the most fascinating players this season to me, because they've had moments where they looked like really, really good players and they kind of got paid appropriately uh, for that uh and these new teams are expecting them to play the way they played uh in the playoffs at times for miami the last two years like I, but they need Gabe vincent to make shots like if he shoots like 30 percent from three that's gonna be a problem for them too i think because this is a team that as we've talked about so often just uh, has uh, really struggles to shoot the ball yeah uh and i would even lump Rui into this a little bit where oh, sure. if you were looking yeah. at like if you're if you're looking at the playoff overachievers, uh I, I think Gabe, you know, Max Truce and, and Rui are are three of the top four or five guys in that yeah. you know, category. And uh so I mean the Lakers are if you look at the the roster construction and just kind of how everyone's gonna be slotted and and minutes and, and roll, like they are betting on the playoff versions of Gabe Vincent and Rui Hachimura. And if those guys revert back to their regular season versions, uh, that lowers their ceiling. And I think like those are two of their top 
seven guys, maybe eight at, at worst. And if those two guys regress, like that, that's a problem. And Gabe in particular, uh, you know, his three point percentage is always, it's always been a little bit below average because he's more of a high volume guy. But I do think going from, he was at about uh, 33% on uh, 10 threes per 36 minutes, comparing that to a guy in Dennis who is similar percentage, but four threes uh, per, or, you know, attempts per, per 36 minutes. Like yeah, and, and only is, take is him a, if he's wide open to like the, his shot took an hour to get it off. Like Gabe will take him deep. So yeah, I, I mean, it should be better. I, I agree with you there, regardless of how well he shoots it. Yeah. So I think, and, and Gabe, like, I think it's a defensive downgrade from Dennis, but I don't think it's a significant downgrade. Um, I think if anything, like he, he has a little bit more size and, and can probably mm-hmm. defend some more twos and, and even some smaller threes in, in a certain setting. So like, I, I would say I'd probably rather have Gabe, honestly. Um, like Dennis yeah. had these intangibles where like maybe the, the, the peak of Dennis was a little bit higher where like Den- Dennis had some great moments for the Lakers where like he swung, you know, stretches of quarters and, and games. And like he, he was very valuable in the playoffs, especially as D'Lo became unplayable like Dennis was the guy who you know, eventually took the starting spot but was was closing games and he had some some good moments but I, I think Gabe's gonna be more steady and Gabe's gonna be less mistake prone like Dennis would have those stretches where he's just pulling up from 16 feet and like you just he's kind of taking over the offense in in a way you don't want him to so uh yeah. and I know you know Gabe is a bit of a chucker as well but I just think you know percentage wise like he's a better mid-range you know he's a better mid-range shooter he's a better three-point shooter and and I think overall they tilted that a little, like a little bit more offensively, which I, I think this group probably needed. Uh, so I like the Gabe Vincent signing. I, I do think it's going to come down to like, you know, is he more the playoff guy or is he more the regular season guy? And that is is another thing that, uh, like, to me, this this roster has a lot of variants. Like, you know, with LeBron and AD, it's mm-hmm. the injuries. With Austin, it's kind of like how legit was some of the progress we saw toward the end of last season. And then they have several role players who you could show me like one stat line for them and I would believe it. And you could show me a totally different stat line and I would also believe that. Like, I just think there's a lot of variance with this roster. No, I, I think you're right uh, on that. And, and I think, you know, we could save that for uh, as we get into predictions. So I do think there is some significant downside for this group. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game, or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Should we talk a little bit about what Christian Wood's role is going to be before we get into predictions? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> You want me to start? Uh, well, well, uh, well. Let me. I, I mean, I, I got it. You 
sort of foreshadowed how you're thinking about it a little bit here. I mean, to me, getting him on a one plus one at the minimum, he's a talented player. This team isn't necessarily going to look exactly how it looks at the trade deadline. Like Rui is an, is more tradable salary potentially. He may not be uh, with this group in the end if they make a deal for uh, another really good starter. And you know, this team needs more offense, as you said. Like you can actually run some stuff through Christian Wood. He's probably actually the best shooter they have of anyone at the four and five positions right now uh and you know he can attack a little bit off the dribble and uh you know so so, like i had no problem with the contract it's not like they have just like such unbelievable guys that like you know how's how's he gonna play and hey their other center behind ad was jackson hayes like i don't even think jackson hayes is any better defensively than christian wood necessarily like yeah christian wood's bad but so so is jackson hayes hayes is another one of these guys that's a problem yeah yeah it is so <laughs> i got no i got no problem with the signing but is your i don't want to say objection but is your concern that this augers we're gonna see more two big lineups yes uh i will say i've been against the signing for most of the offseason and and talking to more people around the team it, it started to grow on me uh now, I will say I preferred Bismack Biombo among the available options. I think that he is more in line with that Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee type that they keep referencing mm-hmm. uh, of the glory days of, of the two big lineups. And <laughs> even though it's it's funny because like it's like such those guys basically history at this point. Yeah, well, those guys to like you know, bash some heads and foul it like well, they weren't doing anything. When, when it really mattered, it was LeBron and AD at the at the four and the five or it was Markeith Morris or Kyle. Kuzma in there as a stretch big like that yeah and Dwight had his moment like especially in the Denver series he, he was great against Jokic even though a lot of that was just being tough and physical and, and fouling a lot but like you know he, he had some productive moments in that series and bo- both guys were great innings eaters in in the regular season and and you know they, they had valuable roles as, as rim protectors and whatnot but like yes it, it's it's revisionist history on like how important they actually were even so, Christian Wood and Jackson Hayes are, are not them. And that to me was more of like, like Bismack Biombo last year, second in uh, defensive field goal percentage allowed at the rim behind Triple J. Uh, to me, like, you know, having that guy in like an eight to 12 minute role, maybe 12 to 15 in the regular season, then you scale that down in the playoffs. Like just having a guy who your defense isn't going to die when AD is off the floor, because I think that's the big concern here. Uh, was, and, and we saw it last, like it was kind of a different problem for them last year, where in the past it would be, they would always struggle when LeBron was off the floor. And they kind of figured that out with with Russell and and with Reeves ascending and uh, Rui making shot like you know Dennis like th- they kind of figured out lineups to prop up the offense when LeBron was off the floor. But it was really when AD's off like we can't defend at all. And uh, you know it got to the point where like it, it was just you know they had to go small basically, and it was LeBron and Rui uh, at the four and the five, and, and they were just you know switching everything and hoping that that would prevent teams from getting downhill. So. I think, as you said, like Wood is arguably the most talented scoring big that they've had in the LeBron AD era. Uh, And they haven't really had a stretch five since that 2021 season when when they had Gasol and and Morris uh, and even Kuzma, if if you want to go a little bit smaller. Uh, But I think Wood has value as as a replacement for AD on nights he's out. Like he can get you 20 and 10, similar to what Thomas Bryant did last season. Like that was one of the ways the Lakers stayed afloat was when AD was out. It's like, let's just drop 130 every night. Thomas Bryant's going to chuck a bunch of threes. He's going to get 20 points. Christian Wood could do the same thing. But if we're talking about two big lineups 
and Christian Wood being a replacement for essentially that Dwight JaVale role, like that's not who he is. And this is going to bring up something I feel strongly about that I think is is uh, counter to you know, national narrative. Like to me, the two big lineups just don't make sense. AD is a five. LeBron is a four. Their best lineups are going to be AD at center and LeBron at power forward. And we now have two years of this. Of uh, Two years ago, AD played 76% of his minutes at center per cleaning the glass. Last year, 99%. LeBron has basically been a full-time four and five the past two seasons as well. So to slot those guys down just doesn't make sense with their shooting concerns. And I think defensively, both guys have are not as mobile and athletic as they were you know, a couple of years ago, but certainly going back to the championship season. So as we were talking about the starting lineups, like, are you going to slot LeBron at the three and have him guard Jason Tatum or, or Kawhi or Kevin Durant? Like that, that doesn't make sense. And you don't have the guards to do so because that title team at least had KCP, Alex Caruso, Danny Green. They had guards that could scale up and defend bigger players and at least hold their own to, to an extent where they weren't going to get torched. But they don't have that on this team, in my opinion. So I, I just like in, in certain second unit stints, it can work uh, like Wood and Hayes next to AD. Sure. But I think people are discounting how good Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee actually were. Like that's, I, th- I think, a revisionist history of like, oh, those guys are replaceable. Just plug anyone in. They could do what they did. Like, no, uh, you know, JaVale was a starting center on a title team, you know, back-to-back seasons. And, and then ultimately with the Lakers uh, and, and Dwight, of course, you know, ha- has a hall of fame career. So I, I think people are kind of, there's revisionist history both ways of like, you know, we need to go back to the two big thing, but also, oh, anyone could just plug in and, and play those those minutes. Like that's not the case. And I don't think it's Christian Wood or Jackson Hayes. I think both guys have strengths, but it's not what the Lakers need in a two big look. And I, I just, to me, it just doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's really just because Davis and LeBron just don't have quite the same skill sets uh, that they used to. And yeah, I mean, I think Wood, there, there's a place for him. And all right, if he's going to play five minutes a night alongside AD and let's see how it goes like okay like like offensively i think that could work okay and would you know he'll 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 just guard the four and ad will still be the the five defensively and you know would gives you some rim production so i don't know and maybe they could just get more out of him than they've gotten out of christian wood in the past uh strengths and weaknesses i mean we talked about obviously when ad is off the floor that's a big problem uh and i think they have enough guarding the ball with vanderbilt and with Gabe Vincent. I don't know if Vanderbilt is amazing guarding opposing wings. You know, that's something we, mm-hmm. we haven't really seen him do in the playoffs. Like, he's kind of better at guarding smaller guys. But then, of course, you run into the issue of uh, that you talked about of his fit with LeBron and AD uh, on the offensive end. And so I, I think that's like guarding opposing wings, right? If they have to play the Clippers, if they have to play Phoenix, that's I really don't like those matchups for them. And obviously, you know, we saw what Denver did to them uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, or or, or Luca, Luca is another one. I guess Van, Vando might be able to guard Luca a little bit, but uh, Vando's done a good job against against Luca. But yeah, uh, you know, we were talking about their play their playoff path, and right, uh, they ended up avoiding the Clippers and the Suns in round one and, and, you know, that side of the bracket. And like that, those are two matchups I think are tough for them. Uh, I, I think as we like the small guard thing, I, I think they can snuff that out with, uh, I mean, Dennis is gone, but uh, I thought Austin had some good moments against Stephen Clay in the, the Warriors series. Uh, 80, of course, was, was everywhere and, and he was really the key to it all. But like, I think they can get by against most bigs, <laughs> not Jokic. I mean, yeah. Uh, but uh, like in, in most situations, w- whether it's it's bigs or smalls, 
I, I think they should be fine. It's the, the mid-sized guys of like, I just don't. Yeah. I, I, and one thing I should mention that I forgot to mention earlier was Rui has slimmed down. I don't know if you've seen any pictures of him in the Lakers gym recently, but like no. Rui has visibly, I would guess, lost at least 10 pounds. And mm. I think part of that is like, he's going to be playing much more three next season. And I think, so that's where if he does start at the three, now will that work? You know, I don't know. Uh, but I, I think that that is part of the plan for the Lakers is Rui is slimmed down. They, they want him playing at a little bit of a lighter weight, probably closer to like 220, 225. And if he can be more in that range and be a bit more mobile and light footed, like I think that that's kind of what they want for, from him. So um, I would say weaknesses to me, uh, three point shooting, like I think they got better overall, but they still to me project as a, a bottom half uh, team in terms of makes attempts and percentage uh, health. Of course, we, we don't know like LeBron and AD just pencil them in for 20 plus missed games every season. Uh, yeah. It's really been multiple years in a row now. Uh, interior yeah. I, I mean, it's really, it's AD. really just a question with those guys of do they have some major nagging thing when the playoffs come around or is it kind of more of like a management not playing back to like a sprained ankle or something? Yeah. You know, but yeah, I mean, going back to 21, you know, they both were really dealing with stuff. Uh, and even last year, although they were able to, to make it through. Um, yeah. Sorry. So you're saying health, anything else? Yeah. Uh, interior defense outside of AD. And, and this is where I, I think Hayes and Wood, like, yes, they can block shots, but I don't, I mean, Wood has never played in a playoff game and, and that's not necessarily his fault. That's just been the teams he's been on. But uh, like, I don't think either guy is is proven really in the playoffs. It becomes like, you know, you're going to play seven or eight guys and can that guy just not get picked on defensively? I don't think either guy is at a level defensively that it's like a no doubt they can hang in a playoff series. And the Lakers might not need them to, as, as we saw, they made a conference finals run really without a backup center. But I think ideally you have at least a guy who can play, like it would have been nice to have a playable backup center in that Denver series of just, yeah. can he go out there for eight, 10 minutes and, and not, you know, have a layup line out there. And I don't, you know, again, Wood and Hayes could, could exceed my expectations and the team's obviously betting on that. But outside of AD, I don't think they have a reliable guy that you can just throw out there and say, this guy can man the defense for eight, 10, 12 minutes. And then, as you said, you know, final thing for me is just the perimeter defense specifically against big scoring wings, the, the Tatums, the Kawhis, the KDs, the Jimmy Butlers. Like, I think LeBron could do it in spurts. AD's even done it. I, I think you go back to the title year. I remember those uh, battle LA matchups. They'd put AD on Kawhi. Like, but yeah. there's a trade off there he, where he if you can't put AD, do that anymore either. I don't think. Yeah. I think I mean, he's too th- slow there's that, that question. And it's just, you know, foul trouble dragging him out of the paint. Like th- th- there's trade offs to it. So I-, I think like they, they still need to me, to me, they, they still need that fifth guy where ideally you slot, like, let, you know, let's just say hypothetically, you trade D'Angelo Russell to trade deadline for a wing that slots in as like, I mean, Mikhail Bridges is like, you know, obviously too good of a player, but like that type of skill set uh, in terms like Phoenix, Mikhail Bridges, and then you, you start Vincent and you kind of just get by with like, okay, we have Vincent, Austin and LeBron. That's enough to run the offense. We have a, a better wing in there who, who slots more appropriately. And then, you know, Rui off the bench, 
Max Christie, Christian Wood, uh, Torian Prince, like et cetera. Like that to me is kind of what they need. And if they don't get that guy, I think there is just that hole defensively where, you know, you, you can play Rui, but you're risking the shooting. Can he match up with those guys? Like Vando, okay, well, it's, it's, you know, definitely the shooting and like teams just aren't going to guard him. Like there's just, to me, clear holes with any of their current options on the wing that they have to aggregate some of these salaries and, and really plug that, in my opinion, to be like a championship contender on the Denver, Phoenix, Milwaukee, Boston level. Yeah, a lot, lot to unpack there. I, I think a, a couple of things I wanted to note, because uh, I know we're running short of time here. Uh, they are going to be number one in the buyout market this year because mm-hmm. Golden State, the new rules, Golden Golden State, Phoenix, Milwaukee, Clippers, all these teams that might be in competition with them are all over the second apron and won't be able to get anyone who's bought out who has a salary of more than the mid-level. So uh, that will be uh, certainly useful for them. In terms of strengths and weaknesses, they do a great job of not fouling, but they also mm-hmm. never, ever turn anybody over. And that's probably going to continue to be the case. I mean, Vanderbilt is really kind of the only shark type of guy uh, on this team. Uh, you know, I think their defensive rebounding when AD is off the floor that it could really be a big struggle for them as well and they're really not great on the offensive glass either uh although ad did kind of ramp that up in the playoffs uh i would actually say another thing that they're not great as uh scoring in isolation just one-on-one scoring for teams that can switch uh now they might be able to beat those with like little duck-ins or the offensive glass or getting the foul line a little bit but they don't really have that one guy that i think opposing teams like other than just lebron going into bully ball mode which he just can't do as often anymore that's a little bit of a concern Mm -hmm. for me and then there's one other name i wanted to ask you about we talked about wing defense we haven't mentioned the name max christie at all had a nice summer league i mean just 30 seconds on whether you think he could figure it all this year or whether he's just the of getting a little overhyped as we've seen happen on occasion for a lakers summer league performance i i think he can and I, I think my like sneaky favorite uh, potential lineup, probably not as a starting lineup, just because I, I think they're going to want more of a traditional point guard out there, but uh, is LeBron, AD, and Rui in the front court and Austin Reeves and Max Christie in the back court. And I think you, you got some switch, uh, some switchability there on the perimeter, some versatility, but he's flashed a three and D skill set last year uh, in some limited minutes. And I think he showed that and then some in summer league with, with just his on ball shot creation and, and getting to the foul line and some of the ways that like austin grew in year two uh i think max is another guy like they're pumping with confidence of we believe in you you know we we, we think you just got to take more shots and be more aggressive so um i'm buying max christie stock i think he has the potential to be like the eighth guy on this team and uh if he continues to ascend the way that he has i, I think kind of over the last few months like i wouldn't be surprised if he's even closing matchups and maybe he becomes that wing guy at six six long arms uh he, he's bulked up a little bit like i think he could potentially be the internal answer i, I think that's like the most optimistic projection for him but i, I think there is a path to that yeah I, I think he'll get a shot and you know cam reddish will get a, a chance to uh you know obviously he's been on many a team that desperately needed the exact skills that you're talking about and been unable to provide that including most recently the portland trailblazers uh all right we're ready to uh figure out how many games these guys are gonna win uh so i have them at 53 and 29 and third in the west uh i think my top two are, are Denver and Phoenix. I think those are the two best teams in the West. Uh, and I think those are both, you know, if not for those two teams, I, I would have the Lakers favor to come out of the West, but I, I think they each present different matchup problems for them. But uh, I'm going to go 53 and 29. I, I think 
it might sound a little optimistic, but again, this is a team that 57 win pace, uh, you know, post trade deadline. Uh, to me, the record with LeBron factoring in the playoffs, a 52 win pace is a little bit more in line. Um, I, you know, again, I might be a little bit more optimistic, but they won 43 games last year, and that was with a two and 10 start, the whole uh, Westbrook sideshow for the first 50 games. Like I I think with even a a bump in health, which they've been one of the least healthy teams over the past few years. And and part of that's just LeBron and AD, but it's also been role players. Like they've had a lot of injury, you know, bad luck. I think if they have like normal health and those guys can just miss like 15 to 18 games instead of 20 to 25, I think 53 and 29 is realistic, albeit probably a more optimistic projection overall. I don't think I can go quite that high, although I think that the Lakers might have the large, certainly the largest range in my mind of any team that I've done an outlook for so far, because mm-hmm. like I think you can absolutely construct a scenario where Reeves takes a step forward and James and AD actually give them more than they got last year even though they are a year older that they end up being a, a little bit healthier the continuity uh, actually helps uh, Gabe Vincent gives them more than Dennis Schroeder did in the regular season they get more shooting Rui uh, takes a little bit of a step forward Christian Wood helps the offense they're uh, Max Christie or s- someone else like they have some outs uh, on the bench like they've gotten a lot out of some of these you know younger talented guys getting their second or in uh, the case of Reddish uh, 97th chance so uh, like that you could absolutely say I could see these guys even getting I mean it's hard to say that they could get up much above I think where you would have them I think it would LeBron AD would just have to play too much at that point and particularly if AD goes down like I think they're kind of you're they're playing 500 ball at that point just because their defense is so bad um in games that he doesn't play uh and I'm not sure like LeBron quietly had like a 33 percent usage last year a lot of that compiled when AD was out and so there's also the chance that LeBron could just kind of be done I mean I I realized that you know 43 wins last year I agree with you everything went wrong I wouldn't go quite that low uh, as a floor of LeBron AD playing a realistic amount of games but I, I still I still wonder and AD is also like one of the least consistent players uh, over the course of a season I think I'm gonna go 49 wins for this group I like their depth reasonably well but there still are just enough enough holes and enough question marks that like that 49 wins is kind of like you know I could see him at 44 again I could see him Mm -hmm. at 53 like I I so I think I'll split the difference uh, at 49 I think that's fair like I I guess part of my optimism Uh, stems from I think they have guys who are like I think they have several players who are better in the regular season than the playoffs that like like Russell to me is a perfect innings eater for a night that LeBron or AD misses he can get you 25 and help you win a game that I don't think necessarily is gonna translate to the playoffs I also view a Christian Wood as a similar type guy so like and even Austin and and Rui although I think they're probably more I think they're more scalable than than Russell and and Wood but like I think there's some like to me this team is is more geared toward and we part of the strength post trade deadline was like they would have these random nights where Malik Beasley hits seven threes and like Lonnie Walker comes uh, with, with eighteen points off the bench and like they, they would kind of just like Frankenstein together wins with different role guys stepping up and that's just part of the way Darwin has has coached up this team of you know he, he wants a, a more uh, you know egalitarian offense when LeBron or AD misses time uh, so I, I feel like to me they're they're a group that like I actually think that this is to, in my opinion the, the best equipped they've been to withstand a LeBron or AD absence in 
this stretch uh, of the LeBron AD era, but I'm almost more pessimistic on like their playoff outcome, I guess, come playoff time if they still have the same roster versus like the regular season. I think, again, like I I could see Russell and Wood can give you 20 on any given night and like help prop up the offense. Now, the defense is going to be a concern, but I think that's more of a playoff concern than, yeah, yeah, I guess just seeing how they were able to still win without AD and without LeBron at times, you know, maybe that's uh, coloring my, my viewpoint a little bit too much, but I, I guess that's not of, as much of a concern for me. It's more of like, I think some of these concerns we were talking about are legit playoff concerns that like, if they don't plug those holes, I just think that they're, they're very vulnerable in the wrong matchup. And I think there are several teams in the West that can, that can poke at that. So um, I guess maybe I'm a little bit more higher. I'm higher on their regular season ceiling and maybe a little bit lower on their playoff ceiling. Huh? Okay. Yeah. I guess the other thing I would say is I think they kind of have a math problem offensively in the regular season. I just, I think like they're not going to be great in the possession game. And mm-hmm. the, well, I, I don't think they're going to turn it over a ton, but they're not going to get like a ton of offensive rebounds and they're just not going to take and make that many three pointers unless some guys really turn over a, a new leaf. And so it's just, yeah, they'll get to the foul line. They might be number one in the NBA getting the foul line, but they also like, they don't really make like mid rangers either. Like they're not great at shooting those. I would say uh, now can LeBron just like get to be way more efficient again you know maybe maybe that's how things really improve and ad you know rediscovers jump a little bit but it's just it's hard for me to see these guys getting into the top 10 in offense and if that's mm-hmm. the case i agree then it's like all right how are they really getting mid 50s in wins as like an upside scenario that that's kind of where i have some pause in the playoffs yeah i mean it, that's it's kind of interesting I, I you know i do think lebron teams are going to punch above their weight in the playoffs you know that's been the history and that he plays better in the playoffs and i also think there's a decent chance of like a trade or a buyout signing filling in some of the issues i don't think they have the scratch to go get the pure three and d guy you're talking about but if they got like a boy on bogdanovich i think that would be like a big transformative thing for this team that's that sort of player who's just like a really reliable shooter and like you know is not just trash on the defensive end um so yeah yeah, i I guess i just to uh properly contextualize my argument like I I just think they still need that fifth guy. Like, and it's not like, again, Mikhail Bridges was just sort of like, that's like the ideal prototype of like that type of guy. Of course, they're not going to get Mikhail Bridges. They're not going to get someone, you know, even 80% of that. But even like Bogdanovich, I, I think to me, he, he does like he's someone I they've been after for the last couple of years. I think he would check some of those boxes and like at least, you know, you know what you're getting from him offensively and he can hold his own defensively, at least within a team scheme. And like, he's not going to be this giant liability. And I, so that's a, I think that's like a perfectly realistic example of someone who would be an upgrade over the Rui Vando, like offense defense choices that I feel like they're going to have to make. And to your point, like, I think this is a better roster. This is a more versatile roster, but there are just a lot of these decisions with the rotation of, we have to be really careful of certain combinations of, of players. And I think, as you said, like Russell and Vando got to be together and Rui and Vincent got to be together. But like, you know, do I think Russell and, and Vando makes more sense as a bench lineup together and, and Rui and Vincent as the starters, but like there's politics, there, there's just a lot of stuff involved that I don't know, like they have some tough choices to make. And I'm really interested to see ultimately where the rotation goes and, and how they make those choices. Because again, that can be the difference between being a seven seed and a three seed. And that is a big difference come playoff time. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And, you know, this feels like kind of a second round exit team to me uh, in terms of us as currently constituted. Certainly, I think there are uh, some things that they could do to improve it. But, you know, again, like like last year, it all comes down still to me to LeBron and AD. I mean, LeBron, like he you said the thing about his age, like it just and he probably did have offseason foot surgery. And, you know, this I think I mean, that's the first sur- that'll be the first surgery he's ever had that we actually know about if you know, and maybe we will never know about it. Because uh, he certainly referenced the possibility that he might have had some before that we didn't know about. Uh, all right, man. This is I've kept you for far too long here, but obviously much to get into uh, with this group. Where can we keep up with everything that you're doing all year long? Uh, you can find me over at the Athletic on the Lakers page or my author page, uh, and you can find me on all social media at Yovan Buha J O V A N B U H A. All right, thanks again uh, for joining us, Yovan. Uh, great to have you as always, and. Uh, Looking forward to hanging out this year. Let's talk soon. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to this free episode of Dunked on Prime. Again, if you'd like to get every team preview and all the rest of our content, you can subscribe at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. That's dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.